Hi. All right. We are, all right. We are going to finish the book of John tonight, and then we are going to talk about the truth of what do we do now? We had this experience up here on this mountain where we walked into the week and a lot of us may be unsure of the most pivotal questions in life. Not not just what do you think about God, but a lot of us had never considered the fact that God thinks about us at all. We never considered the next fact, which is what does he think about when he thinks about us? What does he think about when he thinks about you? The way that we that's revealed to us is through the scriptures. We talked about that that first night. And then after we understand that God talks to us and speaks to us through the scriptures, then what does Jesus' life reveal reveal about the truth of who he is? The book of Hebrews says that if you want to know God, know Jesus, because Jesus is the very picture, the very image of God. He is the perfect view for us as people to understand the character of God. Look at Jesus. Then, we talked about the truth of sin, the lies that we believe. God would never send good people to hell, that we are essentially good people, that all paths lead to him. And we found the truth of all of those fallacies and that the scriptures say something very different, that we've got a bad court case against us and the wages, the earnings of the sin that we've committed is not just temporary bodily avatar death. It's an eternal separation from God in a place called hell where there is none of God's common grace. Then the gospel the gospel comes in and it sweeps in and in the last moment in, in, this, in this beautiful touch of grace from the heaven down to earth, God extends his love to us. God demonstrates his love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the gospel comes in in this beautiful moment where a lot of you said, that's me. I surrender. I quit I don't want to be the captain of my life anymore. I don't want to be in charge. So far, I've done nothing except rebel against God, and I'm done. I surrender. I give up. When you died on the cross, you took my sin away. Jesus, drink my cup of wrath that I deserve. And some, for a lot of us last night, standing and making that declaration, that's exactly what happened. Jesus drank the cup of wrath for you that you deserved. And we get to look forward then to this day that is fast and quickly approaching where either Jesus comes back in his glory to declare the end of all things and in doing so he brings heaven to earth and he restores planet earth to the way he originally intended it. A lot of us when we think about heaven we think about this place that's like up in the sky and everyone gets their own cloud and a harp and their shiny dresses that they wear all the time. And I really do think that's a, that it, that's a it's, it's one of Satan's clever schemes. Because if you're like me, that doesn't sound very fun, <laughs> right? I get to wear a dress forever. <laughs> Sounds fantastic. Play the harp, say you. What an awesome instrument. If you play the harp, I'm sure you're a neat person. But it's just like not my thing, you know? Uh, but the Bible says something very different. It says when, when God comes back, he's going to take the new Jerusalem up in heaven. He's going to bring it back down to earth, and he's going to restore, which means in heaven forever, we're not going to be floating on some clouds. We're going to be here on earth. We're going to have the sequoias. We're going to have the ocean. We're going to have the Pacific. And the, we probably won't call them that anymore. But everything about God's original creation will just be restored. There'll be no more pain, no more weeping, no more death, no more mental illness, no more suffering, no more miscarriage. None, none of the things of this world that sin has brought in, God will do away with all of them and we'll, leave, we'll live forever with him, exploring the universe, exploring this world that he's created loving one another, worshiping him, and not experiencing any of the brokenness of this world. And that's what we have to look forward to. But here's our problem. For a lot of us, 
That is if we're betting people decades away from now. And we don't know that, right? In a room of this size, death is going to come for some of us before the end of next year, before the end of two years from now. None of us are guaranteed anything further than that. And I can tell you from firsthand experience, if I was a betting man, I would never bet I was losing my wife at 28. And no one that looked at my wife's life when she was 26, 27, 25, or any time before that would have bet that she was going anywhere anytime soon. She was like the natural path. She was like essential oils. Like she started home businesses about like, she ate elderberry syrup like it was going out of style to stay healthy. She was a health, certified health coach. She ran she jogged. She did jazzercise every day of her pregnancy up till the day that, that each baby was born. She would wake up in the morning, vomit because of her morning sickness, go do jazzercise, then take care of the other four kids. Like, it's just a superhero, and she's gone. And so I, every breath we take, we're gambling on borrowed time. And so these questions are important. And, and here's the big one that I want to propose to you tonight, which is how do we transfer the experiences and the commitments and the decisions that we made this week and have it not be what a lot of us have historically, your big decisions in Christianity have gone off like a, you know, like a bottle rocket in the sky, like a firework, right? Like Katy Perry status. <laughs> Baby, you're a firework. And then it's done, right? <laughs> That's the thing about fireworks. They're like, ah, okay. <laughs> and I think for a lot of us, if you think to the end of your life, here's what I'd like you to do. Just, just go there mentally. It's kind of a morbid thought, and it's a little bit morose, but if you, if you just do me the favor, because I think it, it helps to bring about a healthier perspective. I want you to go to the last day of your life, okay? You're laying on your deathbed. You're in hospice care, and the generations that you have created are after you. Um, you've got your kids in the room. You can make it up. Uh, about how many there are or uh, what the makeup of that room will be. Do you have a spouse? Are they in the room? Um, do you, are your grandkids there? I don't know what it is, but I want you to go to that last day. Okay, this is a day we don't think about very often, especially as teenagers. We're immortal. Like, nothing's going to kill us. But th the reality is, is from the time that you started in this chapel, you are about an hour closer to your death, and the time is just taken away. You're not getting more time. I want you to go to that last day. And then you go to that last day, I want you to picture like on your bedstand, there's like a, uh, one of those like digital photo frames, right? And it's scrolling through pictures of your life. And your grandkids are having a heyday because they get to see grandma or grandpa when he or she was a teenager, right? I, don't, I, I, I almost remember perfectly where I was when I realized that my dad used to be a child, right? It's like a trippy thought where you're like, but you, uh, it's even trippier when you start having kids and you realize all parenting is, is making junk up over and over again, right? You think, oh, my parents know what they're doing. No, they don't. They just make it up. They're like, uh, yeah, you're uh, grounded. How come? I don't know. I made it up, okay? <laughs> That's what parenting is. You make it up, and then one day your kids turn around and go, you didn't do a very good job, and they have kids, and they go, you did okay. You know, <laughs> parenting's hard. Uh, nice try. Um, and you're kinda, they're kind of scrolling through these pictures. And as your grandkids are all circling around, they're like watching, you know, the clothes that you wore at prom. They're like, but grandma, <laughs> this is a weird outfit, you know? And you're like, your Halloween costume is like the green guy from Among Us. And your, your grandma's like, your grandkid's like, what is, what is this? <laughs> and you're like, sus, you know? <laughs> uh, whatever you do. And, um, you know, it's like, there's a couple videos of like a TikTok dance that you learned and you're like, better not watch that one. I gyrate my hips <laughs> because you were weird. You know what I mean? And, but then you hit this 
section of pictures, one after the other. And it's you in your, in your team shirt. It's you in your roller derby outfit. It's you in your cabin. It's you and your counselors and your youth pastors in front of Hume Lake. And you're wearing your uh, senior send-off outfit, your graduation outfit. And someone in, you, in the picture is wet because they decided to jump in the lake because they're the person who always jumps into bodies of water when it's not really what you're supposed to do. But that was just kind of your thing. And maybe that's you. You're, every one of your pictures is you uh, having found an inappropriate body of water to jump into. You know what I mean? And your grandkids are like, Grandma, why, why, why are you always in the water? And you're like, because I needed attention, right? Um, <laughs> that wasn't a dig at anyone. It's just, that, was, that was your grandma talking. That wasn't me. <laughs> um, and <laughs> ignore that one. Um, and it's like cycling through these pictures. And your grandkids kind of look up at you and they, they ask you a pretty simple question. Like, Grandma, what was this? And your answer is, is most likely going to be one of two things for each of us. And the statistics would say that the majority of us, your answer is going to be the first answer. For the majority of the people in here, your answer is going to be, oh, yeah. Uh, Grandma went to church camp one time. Grandpa went to church camp one time. And your kids and grandkids are going to go, you went to church camp? And you go, yeah, it was like this, um, it was Hume Lake. Um, one of my friends was going. They went to a church that uh, was in my town, and they invited me to go. And so I went, and um, I remember, I just, I remember feeling uh, in that moment like God w- might be something like really important in my life or um, I, I remember standing up when the guy on the um, stage, he, he, was, he was weird. He only wore like solid colored shirts wherever he went. And he had a questionable taste in baseball teams. You know what I'm talking about? And you're just, you start walking through it, and you, but it just kind of sparks these memories. And you're like, oh, yeah, I was like a, and that season afterwards, I, yeah, I, grandma went to church for a little bit. And it was, it was a, kind of a fun part of my childhood. But you know that that was a firework. It was here today and gone tomorrow, but it wasn't part of your life. It, 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 the, 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 the difference of Hume Lake didn't make a difference in your life. It made a difference in your week. It made a difference in the next month, but it wasn't this permanent thing. It was just this one-off moment. And, and yet for a group of us, my prayer is for the majority of us that we're going to look and those pictures are going to come up and the biggest smile is going to come on your face. And you're just going to sit there and your grandkids are going to go, what is this? And you're going to say, Hume Lake Christian Camp. And hopefully your grandkids go, you went to Hume Lake too? And you're going to say, yeah. In fact, if your story's like mine, when I was 11 years old, I sat right there at a junior high camp in the middle of the winter. And I heard the gospel proclaimed for the first time. And I stood up. And it changed something intrinsically inside of me. And that's what Hume-like was. Or Hume-like was the beginning of me asking more intense questions about my faith and what I believed. And in fact, you look around at your kids and grandkids and you say, and that's why actually, that's why our family is the way that we are. That is why, as for me and my household, we serve the Lord. 
That is why everything changed in our life. I'll tell you, before that, I was actually a, an enemy of God. And then because of understanding with my small group leaders and my youth pastors and my friends that were at that camp, I made this big decision to change. And that's why we're church people. That's why we follow Jesus. That's why, that's why we can be confident. That's why no one's worried about grandma dying right now. That's why grandma's not worried about, if I were a female. Um, <laughs> that's why grandpa's not worried about dying right now. That's why grandpa's sitting here and I'm almost going like, let's get this thing going, you know? I got a dance party with the king coming up and your grandkids are, are almost a little upset at you. Like, grandpa, hold on. You're like, just let me go. Uh, <laughs> because you're confident and you're confident because something happened in the year 2022 when you sat in a pew in a chapel where the air conditioning wasn't working that you made a big decision and then something in your life changed fundamentally. It wasn't just a mental ascent that you gave. It wasn't a box that you checked or a trivia fact of your life, but something changed within you. And you knew because of the something that changed within you and who you wanted to be that you couldn't go back to your old way of doing things, right? That's the definition of insanity. Repeating the same process over and over again, expecting a different result is the very definition of an insane behavior. And so you finish up this week and you look back at what led you away from Jesus and the things that, that kept you away from following him and you've decided with the great decision, you must also have great incision, with a big movement of the spirit also must come a big movement in your life. Something has to change. Make no mistake, the gift of God of salvation and eternal life is free. But the response to what he's done for you to live for him forever is expensive. I want to make sure you understand the difference between these two things. The free gift of salvation, Jesus won for you on the cross. And when he came back from the dead his check cleared, and we can rest assured that we can be saved out of nothing that we've done. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for it is by grace you have been saved. That's, that's God's unmerited, undeserved favor. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. That's just us admitting that we are sinners and he rules our life now. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves and not by your works so that no one can boast. Your salvation, the gift of salvation for you on the cross was free. But following Jesus is expensive. It's not salvation that costs. It's following Jesus that costs a lot. Everything. And as adults, I'm going to ask you for one last time to do something the Bible uses the word consider. That word means to weigh. It, it also is used in the Old Testament, and it, and it means if you're an invading army, you're trying to figure out how to break down the walls of your enemy, look for the cracks in the wall. I want you to look for the cracks in the wall of your own heart and your own life. At if you were Satan, how would you get in? If you were Satan and you were considering your life, how would you get in? And you as adults, I'm going to ask you a question. Are you willing to pay the high price of following Jesus. I love the way that the text puts it. The way that the book of John ends up is, is probably one of the most pivotal verses. Maybe it is the most pivotal verse in the, in the book of John, and it says this. John chapter 20, beginning at verse 30. John 20, 30. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples. So John is saying, look, I only gave you a few things. If I were to tell you everything Jesus did, I wouldn't have enough room to write it all. But these, 
I, I chose these specific things for a reason. Many other signs and presence, which are not recorded in this book, but the things that I did write are written that you may believe. Okay, whenever the Bible uses the word believe, this is very important. When the Bible uses the word believe, you can't transpose American ideological language of the word believe on the Bible, right? Um, how many of you believe that kale is good for you? Like if it was on a test in science class and it said, what's better for you, kale or Skittles? If you've got a brain in your skull and you're not seeking attention and I said, which one's better for you, you would all vote for kale, right? Like unless you're dumb, you're going to go, it's kale. Kale's better for you. Now, if I offered you kale or Skittles, how many of you would go kale all the way? Yeah, a few of us for sure. Yeah, you're homeschooled and you have to choose that because <laughs> mom's going to find out. But for the rest of us, <laughs> we choose Skittles, right? I homeschool my kids, so. So fun. <laughs> anyway. But see, we can believe things without it doing anything to us. Right? I can believe a lot of things. I can believe that it's better to read than to binge Stranger Things 4. I can believe that it's better to watch educational documentaries than it is to watch Gilmore Girls again. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. It was just the one time. Um, these are things that I can believe, but we, particularly as Americans, can believe things that don't change us. We can believe things. We can, we can tell you that it's true. We can be convinced that it is a non-false statement. That doesn't mean it's going to change us. And this is not what the Bible means when it says the word believe. When the Bible says the word believe, right? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes, that is not to say, I think there's a God. It doesn't save you. The Bible says demons believe that and they're not saved. So what does it mean by the word believe? It means it has made a fundamental difference in the way that you work, think, act, speak, interact with others, love each other. It changes everything. And Jesus, in his loving kindness, gives us a warning. And it follows directly after what I talked about last night. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn. This is the last place we're going to turn for this week, okay? So Matthew chapter 7. So if you're in the book of John, we've been there all week. We walked through the entire gospel of John. You're going to turn two books back to the left and then one more. So three books back to the left. So it's going to be John, Luke, Mark, Matthew. So this is the first of the four people who wrote a biography about Jesus' life. And here's how we're going to end our week right here. Matthew chapter 7. We're going to start at verse 21, because this is the warning that you were given last night during the gospel message. It says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Right? Did we not go to Hume Lake? Did we not win recreation? Did we not raise our hands during that one song? Did we not pay attention during cabin time? Did we not stay awake during all the chapel services? Did we not, did we not, did we not, did we not? In your name, drive out demons, and in your name, perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, but I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. The next 
verse says this. Therefore, therefore, as good theologians, we always ask the question, what is the therefore, therefore? It's referring to the previous one. It's saying a lot of us are going to be deceived and think that because we're around God, then we're saved by grace through faith. And that's not the case. It's surrender. And, and what did Romans 10, 9 through 10 say? If you confess through your mouth, Jesus is the God and King of my life now, and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. Well, that first part's big. What does it mean to make God the King and Lord of your life? Here's what Jesus says. Here's the difference between digital picture frame group A and digital picture frame group B. Between Katy Perry faith and long-lasting marathon faith. The faith that saves to the very last day and the faith that is a one-off, one-week wonder. Because of the deception that you're likely to undergo, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, that's what you did this week, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. This is what we're just saying. Rain winds came and blew. My house was built on you. No, don't clap. Help me. Help me. What's the next part? I'm safe with you. I'm gonna make it through. Yeah, you are gonna make it through. If the first part of that is true, if, if we appeal to this, if we live our life by this, we can confidently go, the rains are going to come, the wind is going to blow, trial's going to hit, suffering is going to beckon at your doorstep, the cancer screen is going to come back positive, infertility will absolutely melt the inner parts of your soul, your life will be riddled with pain and confusion and doubts and mystery, but in the middle of the rain, in the middle of the storm, you will stand firm. You want to know why? Because you heard the words and then you put them into practice. You're like a man, a wise man who builds his house on a rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a fool who built his house on sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the other teachers of the law. What does it mean to put these things into practice? I'm going I'm to finish by just giving you two things and then I'm going to be done. And the first one is this. If you want to be someone who builds your house on rock, you must first understand when you listen to characters in scripture talk about following Jesus, the cost of discipleship is high. Do you know what Jesus said about himself? If any of you want to follow me, <laughs> if that's not Jesus calling, better hang that crap up right now. Just kidding. But if it's Jesus calling, seriously, let me know, because that'd be pretty sweet. <laughs> Jesus is like, tell him to stop. Um, <laughs> what did I think? The cost of discipleship is high. Ten points for Gryffindor. 
if you asked Jesus, what does it take to follow you? I made a big decision at camp. I made a big submission of my life. I turned my life over to you. Now, what must I do to follow you till the end, to follow you till the day of atonement, to follow you till the day of reckoning, to follow you till the day that I die? Jesus' response is weighty. It's not, I don't know, you'll, you, will, you will back your way into holiness. You are just going to sled. It's almost like you're going to coast your way into greatness. You're going to coast your way into righteousness. If you don't pay attention any longer, you don't study the word of God, you don't connect to your local church, you are going to find yourself one day, you're going to be there. Now, Jesus, what must I do to follow you all the days of my life? Jesus says, if anyone wants to follow me, you must deny yourself. Pick up a cross, be ready to die, and then you can follow me. Paul, Paul, the great apostle, okay, you, you went through a lot of junk. You were a high and mighty leader, and then Jesus came and blinded you, and then he sent you onto the mission field, and you got snake bitten more than once. You were shipwrecked, you were messed up, and you had a thorn in your side. You had some sort of pain in your body, and you prayed time and time again for God to take it away. You were the, the highest of the elite. As a Hebrew, you say in the text that you were the best, most well-preserved, holiest man, except for Jesus Christ himself. What do, when, when it comes to following Jesus for the rest of our lives, what would you compare it to? He goes, oh man, it's like an athlete training for a marathon. It's like a soldier preparing for battle. It's like a farmer getting ready for the season of reaping. You must be ready and prepared. You know what Paul says? You want to know how he, how he plans to finish the race? He says, I beat my body and I make it my slave that I might finish the race in Christ. That is intense. There is no coasting now. You don't go, big decision. All right, sounds good. I'm going to go live however I want and one day I'm going to see him face to face. That's, that, that is, that's not the way the system works. Great decisions require great incisions, a cutting out of something. And so I give you these two things. What does it mean to not let this be a one-off thing? These will not be easy. If your response to what I'm about to say is, that's hard, friend. Nothing could be more difficult. You know what Romans 12 says? Therefore, in view of what God has done for you, Offer your whole bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to approve and test what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And the Bible never negotiates discipleship as being any lower. The problem is we are steeped in consumerism in our culture. You know what the biggest problem is? One of the biggest problems is that our churches, we've got signs we're asking people to come sit in our church because we want them to be saved. But when you drive in the street and you get six churches inviting you to come to the doors on, on, on Sunday morning at eight o'clock, do you know what you feel like? The king. And you think to yourself, all these churches want me. So you walk into church like you walk into Albertsons, right? You're all, I've got money to spend. Let's see if you got what I want. Y'all got yerbas? No? Okay. You got that fair life chocolate milk that I like? No. And you just, you, you don't give me what I want two or three times, I'm finding a new grocery store. Because we're consumers. It plagues our mindset. So what do we do with church? We walk in and we have these high expectations of what the church ought to do for me, right? You walk in, and this is my favorite. I ran a youth group for 11 years. Strictly 17 and 18 year olds. 11th and 12th graders. 
My favorite was the people who were saved, who were following Jesus, but when they came to church, they'd be like, like Anton Ego from Ratatouille, you know, like the food critic, like, mm, it's a bit nippy in here. <laughs> what songs are we playing today? Better be Oceans or I'm out, you know? It's like, play that on repeat just three times, you know? Then I finish a sermon, they're like, I wasn't fed spiritually. It's like, Frederick, that's not my job. Let me help you out. Let me help you out in your life. This is point number one. If you want to finish the race in Christ, take divorce off the table with your local church. Okay? It is only then that you will understand the purpose of the church. It's only then. Now, if your church is teaching some crazy junk, right? Like Jesus was actually a baboon or something like that, run away. Run away, right? If your church is teaching that God's grace plus your work gets you into heaven, run away. That's bad doctrine. That's heresy. If your church is teaching the inspired and errant word of God, and you have a habit of just church hopping every time the church previously offends you, you're never going to understand what covenant commitment to places and people and God himself is like. It's a family. When your family offends you, you don't get adopted into a new one. You stick it out. You transform. You reform. You're going to get hurt. You want to know why? It's a perfect message, but we are imperfect people. You're going to get hurt. But if you keep jumping from church to church, you are going to have Anton Ego Syndrome. You're going to walk into every church and go, what series are we doing? Mm. The book of John. Nice. I like that. Ten points. Where are the restrooms? They don't even have stand-up urinals. I'm not coming back here. And that's what we do. We just become innately obsessed with what the church can do for me. Friend, listen to me. If you are saved... The church in your town is built for you to get off your butt, walk in those doors, and be a part of the mission of God to save the unsaved in your community. You are now a part of the team that has been sent by God to rob hell and populate heaven through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church was not meant to feed you. Never was it meant to feed you. And let me tell you how I know that for sure. Your youth pastors... The job of the youth pastor in human history is brand new. In Jesus' day and age, youth pastor wasn't a thing. And a lot of us in here, we blame our lack of spiritual growth on the insufficiency of our youth pastors or whatever it is, or they're not teaching what you want, or they're not feeding you spiritually. Let me take all the weight off of it. It's not their job. If you can read, here's what you do. You open up the Bible, okay? It's written at a fourth grade reading level, and you read it yourself. When you get to church with your youth pastor, you view him as your brother in arms to take on the world for the gospel of Jesus. You don't go going like a baby bird, like, feed me, feed me, teach me something new about the Bible. Bro, read, read. Here's how I know that. What if all youth pastors tomorrow all left? There was some like rapture of youth pastors, right? Everyone who's had more than two all-nighters gets just rapture. So every youth pastor's gone, right? Everyone, everyone who thinks that 12 powdered donuts is breakfast is gone. So every youth pastor is out, you know? 
then who would you blame your lack of spiritual formation on? They'd be gone. Would it just be, well, I guess we're screwed. No, you'd find a way. Do it now. It's not their job. Take divorce off the table with your local church. This is why marriages are so powerful. When we commit through thick and thin, come hell or high water and sickness and in health to love one another regardless, we experience the true love that God has for us, the kind of love that says, I'm not going anywhere. That's when you'll start to love your church and not view it as something that's just supposed to serve you because that's not the reason God built it. God did not die and then say, I'm gonna build my church here so that you can all be comfortable and well-fed and the right kind of donuts and the, the perfect songs every week. He died so that you could then turn around and be a part of the effect to save the people around you that are going to hell if you don't engage and do something. You have to have that emergency on your heart though or you'll always blame the church for your lack of evangelism. And I love you too much to let you do that because your heart will become calloused and cold and distant from God. And you will start to say dumb things like, the church hurt me, the church did this. Of course it did. Let me help you out of time. It's gonna hurt you because it's people and we suck. I mean, I was youth pastor for 11 years. You know how many people I hurt? Not on purpose, but I look back and I go, look at the graveyard. <laughs> if you wanna preserve to the end, Take divorce off the table with your local church. See it for what it is. And number two, and lastly, practice true repentance in your life. What do you mean by true repentance? We think that repentance means when I mess up, I feel bad about it and I tell God. That's not what biblical repentance means. The word repentance in scripture means doing a complete 180 about face, right? That means if I'm going this direction and I know this is pulling me away from God and who I'm supposed to be, this is not what it means to follow God. I don't just go, God, I'm sorry, and then keep walking in this direction. It means I do a complete about face, right? If I leave my home, okay, in Bonzo, California, I leave my home and I get on the 76 West and take a left and a right, I get to McDonald's every time. So the next day, if I get up and I take the 76 West and take a left and then a right, where do you think I'm going to end up? McDonald's. But on Saturdays, if I get up and I go the 76 West and I take a left and then a right, where do you think I'm going to end up? McDonald's. Do you want to know why? Because it doesn't matter where I intend to go when I leave my house. The direction that I take determines where I go. It's your direction, not your intention, that determines your destination. You might have all the intent in the world to go back home and change your life, but if you don't actually do it, nothing will change. That means for some of you who you know what's pulling you away from God is the pornography on your phone that you're completely anonymous with, that you are constantly being dragged into that, and you know what I know. You started thinking that you have control of it, but friend, you know it controls you now in every facet of your life. You're obsessed with it. It has taken joy out of your other relationships. Your serotonin levels are dropping. Your dopamine levels are dropping. Your brain is being rewired to desire what is fantastical and what is imaginary, and you don't even know it, but it's ruining your future marriage, and it is drawing you away from Jesus, and it is making it difficult for you to worship because Satan, the great accuser, has come in and started telling you, how could you do this? You know who you are. You know what you've done. What does it look like to practice repentance there? 
One of my favorite stories in all of a youth ministry is in about my ninth year, I asked my small group guys, where is he? Where's Landon? Landon ends? My man. He was in my youth group. He was one of my small group guys. We're at small group. We're at my house. And I asked the question, um, how many of you guys struggle with internet, internet pornography, right? And in a group of 20 some odd guys, like 14, 15 of them raised their hands. It's just, it's everywhere. And so I said to them, how many of you feel like you have control over it versus how many of you feel like it has control over you? And they all said, it controls me now. They're in bondage to it. In the same way that your brain lights up when you are addicted to cocaine, it lights up the exact same way when you're addicted to pornography. It's the silent epidemic of the Christian culture. And so I said, how many of you guys, if I was your youth pastor, and I said, hey guys, I'm gonna be taking a break from being your youth pastor because I've got a really bad cocaine addiction but I'm going to kick the habit. I'm going to go to rehab. Except when I go to rehab, I'm going to keep cocaine in my pocket at all times. How many of you would take my repentance seriously? You wouldn't. Because when you go to rehab, the first thing they do is take away all of your addiction. They take it away and let your mind reset itself. And so I said, if you guys want to take this seriously, I don't want to keep coming back every week and have you go, I struggle with pornography, I struggle with pornography, I struggle with pornography. Do you want to know why? Because you have a phone in your pocket and you can anonymously use it whenever you want to and no one's checking in on you. That's what, and if you don't switch that... What makes you think that you going west in the 76, left and then right, is going to arrive you anywhere else but masturbation and pornography? It's not going to change, bro. It's the same destination every time. And in a group of high school guys, 17 and 18-year-olds, that were leaders on their campuses and leaders in our community, they showed up two weeks later with a whole bunch of flip phones. Do you want to know Why? Because the Bible says, if something in your life is causing you to sin, it is better for you to cut it off. If your leg is causing you to sin, if your hand is causing you to sin, Jesus says this, it's better for you to cut it off and then come to the gates of heaven with only one arm than for you to arrive and meet God face to face and go, I couldn't kick the addiction. It became part of who I was. I turned from you. This is, Jesus says, he is no fool who gives that up in order to walk to the gates of heaven because they're not giving into that habitual sin and that new identity inside of their sin. My point to all of you is, there might be something when you get home, you have to actually change, not just want to do better with. For some of you, it means you have to get out of that relationship. You need to break up with him. Why? Because he doesn't believe in Jesus. And the Bible says, don't do that. And you ask yourself the question, is the Bible a cosmic consultant that you listen to and then you do whatever you want? Or is God king of your life? For some of you, it means the friends group that you run in that are constantly gossiping or they're constantly bullying or they're constantly pulling you away from Jesus. Get a new friends group. Well, that's hard. Do you know what Jesus said when you asked him, what did it take to follow you? If anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself, not indulge himself. Deny himself, take up his cross and follow me, Paul says. I beat my body and I make it my slave that I might endure the crown that is forever. Colossians 3, I have put to death the old things that led to death. And now I clothe myself in the righteousness of Christ on a daily basis. Don't fool yourself into thinking because you came up here and made a big decision without a big incision back home that it's gonna stick. Satan is against you. 
He prowls like a roaring lion. He's clever and he's deceitful. And as he confuses the analogies we talked about on night one and he confuses the truth, do not let this be the place where he grabs your leg and pulls you back down. Practice true repentance. Take divorce off the table with your local church. We will never all be in this room together again, ever. My hope is that a good majority of us will get to reunite someday in the new heavens. I hope God preserves Hume Lake so we can come back up and we can have like our reunion from 2022. And my deep hope beyond everything else, everything else is that all of you are there, that we can get back together and we can play that game with the little paddles on the side and we can have Karsten come with his raspy voice and are you ready for recreation, you know? And we can, uh, that's my hope. But now the free gift of grace and salvation was given to you. Now the question on you and the burden on you, friend, is to say, how are you going to transfer this from one thing you did one time into a new identity in Christ? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. And for some of us to get the old gone, we have to exercise it out of our life completely. I, if I started sugarcoating tonight, it would be way off brand. I'm telling you it like it is. If you want to finish this race in Christ, you must go home and incise things from your life. You must look at the church differently if you want to finish this race. There is no call to discipleship that negotiates and makes it lesser than. Jesus doesn't change the price of discipleship because people thought it was too high. He simply says, if anyone wants to follow me, he must take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me you want that last day in that digital picture frame to be a memory of when your faith family started. For a lot of us, it means great change when we go back down the hill. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for your grace and your mercy. And knowing that for some of us, even in this moment, we sit here and we go, I know what I need to do. Father, would your Holy Spirit flood our hearts right now? When you left, all of, us, all of us who are saved, we have your spirit living inside of us now that is able to convict us of sin. And God, we know that as we ask, the psalmist writes in the Old Testament, search me, O Lord, and know me. Create in me a new heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. God, would you bring to light those sins in our life that you're ready for us to change now? God, would you bring to the forefront of our minds in this very moment for each of us sitting here, because you know us individually, would you speak to our individual hearts and show us the place in our life that you know is gonna be the foothold that Satan is gonna have on us? And would you give us the bravery and the courage to create a plan by which we are gonna get rid of that in our life, not by our own power. The power that I have originally, the sinful nature of my heart is of timidity and fear, but Lord, the power that you gave me in your resurrection is of power, love, and self-control. It's not timidity and fear anymore. It's new. So Lord, as we, as we exit this place, would you put one burning question on our heart? What are the things in my life that I must give up or I must begin so that I finish this race in you? Do you name me pray? Amen.